0: And welcome everyone to episode 52 of the Drunken Boxing Podcast, coming to you as always from the capital of the Middle Kingdom, Beijing. All right, well, we haven't released much content on the Mushin Martial Culture YouTube channel since the last podcast released, uh, due to some family events and gatherings all positive that have occurred uh, in my private life over the last month, so I have had very little spare time. But I did release a cultural video which features and focuses on the baleen, or the steel forest, of Xi'an China. This is the first video that focuses more on cultural aspects as opposed to directly on martial arts or related martial aspects. However, it is from the culture that a lot of Chinese martial arts spring from and should be of interest to a lot of people. Along with the history, So I will be releasing more videos in the future that, at times, will focus on a cultural or historical topic. And this will be released under the Culture Series on Muzhin Martial Culture. If you haven't seen this video on the Beilin, or the Steel Forest, I suggest you take a look. It's a highly fascinating place with a very interesting history. The Beilin, or the Steel Forest, is located within Xi'an City walls and houses thousands of ingrained stone steel from throughout China's history the steel house there document important historical instances including religious aspects including other aspects as well which are very important to understand the big picture of China's history in this video i just give you some brief impressions from my trip there all right and coming up there are some interesting videos that will be released over the course of this month i'm hoping to finish editing a addendum video to the hidden history of shuijia which will feature a very important and interesting video uh, that talks about the history of Shuaijiao and its Mongolian roots, which I'm sure most of you will find fascinating and will also uh, clarify some aspects that some of you may have had in your mind or doubted in your mind regarding the actual history of Shuaijiao, the Shampuying and the Mongolian influence on the art. As always, you can find all the videos by visiting the Mushin Martial Culture YouTube channel. If you want to support my channel and the work that I do in general, including this podcast, you may visit our Patreon page on which we have three tiers, two support tiers and a third tier, the Hua Jin online learning tier. Here you will find my online learning program in which you can study the arts of Hebei Xingyi Quan and Liang Style Gua Zhang in depth In a systematic manner that you will not find anywhere else high quality in-depth lesson videos are released multiple times a month along with supplemental documentation and learning materials to help you to study these arts whether you have a teacher where you are or not in-depth and progress and develop the skills that they produce currently the program has over 100 in-depth lesson videos with a library that's growing on a weekly basis you may find the program and our Patreon support page at patreon.com forward slash Mushin Martial Culture. That's Mooshin Martial Culture, all one word. Links are in the description. Additionally, if you'd like to support us, we have a bunch of very interesting merchandise on our Mushin Martial Culture website under the shop. Here you will find a range of apparel, shoes, training equipment, etc. that you can purchase in order to support us or just to present and to display your love of the arts of Quan and Zhang. We also have high-quality training shoes and pants, and more items will be added as time goes on to enable you to practice these arts as well. Additionally, my book, Dragon Body, Tiger Spirit, is available directly from the Mushin mushinmartialculture.com shop in both hardcover and softcover. The reception to this book has been very good from the international Xingyi Quan community, as well as practitioners of other arts, including Taijiquan and Baguajang, as these classics that they cover, translate, explain, and elucidate upon, form the core for many of these other arts and are shared by other arts as well. You may purchase the book directly from our store, but the book is also available from amazon.com, where you can also find the e-book version. The Mushin Martial Culture website is at www.mooshinmartialculture.com. Currently, we are running a promotion on all our t-shirts and hoodies, where you can get a 10% discount on your purchases by using the promo code winter 23 on checkout now's the time to get your hoodies to get ready for winter but we've extended this discount to include t-shirts and apparel as well this promotion will end on the 11th of november so get on it right now All right, let's get into today's podcast. My guest today is Christopher Bates. Christopher Bates is an experienced practitioner of the martial arts with an extensive background in both Burmese and Chinese systems. He was a direct disciple of Master Hong Yixiang in Taiwan since 1982 and is currently studying under Master Hong Zihan, who is the son of Master Hong Yixiang. Many of you will be familiar with the legacy of Master Hong Yixiang who was introduced to the West through the works of Robert Smith and the BBC's Way of the Warrior series. In the past, I've had some of his other students on the podcast, such as Marcus Brinkman. A few years back, Master Hong han wrote a memoir about his father and the family's martial legacy, which was released in Taiwan in the Chinese language, which I bought on one of my trips to Taipei, when it was just released. Christopher Bates has been working with Master Hong Zihang on a translated and expanded version of the book which is set to be released in English worldwide on the 7th of November this year. The title of the highly anticipated book is Blurred Boundaries, and links to it are in the description. Christopher Bates is also the author of Culture Shock Taiwan, The Wave Man, and the recently released thriller Rise of the water margin. This discussion with him was fascinating as we get into his experience and history in learning both Burmese and Chinese martial arts and his time with the Hong family. With that, I give you Christopher Bates. Welcome to the Drunken Boxing Podcast, Mr. Christopher Bates. I'm very happy that we're finally having this discussion. How are you today?
1: I'm fine, thank you, Brian. And just call me Chris is fine. Okay, great. Um,
0: You're currently in Taipei, Am I that's correct? right. Okay, great. Yep. Well,
1: just we for, spend our, yeah, go ahead. We spend our uh, winters here and our summers in Seattle.
0: Oh, okay. So you're actually between the two. I thought you were permanently in 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 Taipei, but you still split your time between the two. That that's that's yes. great. Uh, is it because the Taiwanese summer is too <laughs> too <Yes>. harsh? <laughs>
1: Uh, between the typhoons and the heat and the humidity and etc yeah it's just dreadful here in the summers well yeah, and getting worse yeah oh actually Uh, it is it actually
0: is yeah yeah Yeah, go ahead about Seattle
1: well Seattle Seattle's uh, summers are lovely and pristine perfect Mm. uh, but the winters are miserable (laughs) <laughs> it seems
0: like you figured out a way to have the best of both worlds. Um, indeed,
1: indeed. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
0: this year's summer in Beijing was ridiculously humid and hot and excessively long. The even Usually, we're used to having a period of ridiculous humidity and heat, and it lasts for about four or five weeks when it's at its worst. But this year, it just was relentless, and it just didn't stop. So I don't know what it was like over on your side. Uh, well, you were in Seattle, so I don't know if you heard from anybody in, in Taipei well, what even, it was like.
1: Even in Seattle, the, the uh, summers are getting worse. We had uh, two years ago, we had once one week where the temperatures were over, let's say, I, I'm going to say Fahrenheit because they were over 100 Fahrenheit. Okay. So let's say over you know, 38, 39 uh, uh, Celsius. Celsius. Wow. And um, the houses in Seattle, generally speaking, aren't built with air conditioning because they didn't need it in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just really really tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Mm. I can imagine the um uh this this year here, I mean, we have air conditioners, but you know, air conditioners are good when it's um yeah, if it's dry heat because we get 38, 39, 40. I mean, it hits it hits crazy temperatures here. But if it's humidity and it's a very high humidity, well there's not much you can do to escape from that. The air conditioner helps a bit, but I mean, you're still kind of, you know, feeling it all the time. So, mm-hmm. I can imagine mm-hmm. if you don't have an air conditioner, it's even worse. So, so that's terrible anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've turned the discussion into a weather channel report, and it's it's not the the drunken weather channel boxing <laughs> reports. <laughs> um let me give a bit of the the listeners a bit of background. I've I came into contact with you through Facebook, but primarily through your teacher, who is Hong Zi Han, Um, and, and uh, your most recent endeavors. And it was very interesting to actually get more information about your background that you sent to me, because you've got quite an extensive and a long history in, in not just Chinese martial arts, but in other, other systems as well. So maybe you want to give a little bit of an overview of your background and your experiences as they pertain to, to martial arts, etc.?
1: Indeed, I mean, I I was interested as a youth in training martial arts from when I was twelve or thirteen, but was wasn't given the opportunity. couldn't didn't have anywhere to train. Just watched stuff on TV, James Bond movies, uh, greenhorn at uh, Long Street, and so forth. Mm. Um, but when I was seventeen, uh, I had the opportunity to take my senior year of high school at university, and the school that I went to. Uh, had had this one had a lot of martial arts. It was like a, you know, they had a whole uh, buffet of martial arts. There were teachers oh. for aikido, karate, taekwondo, um, taiji, and one teacher for bando, which is a Burmese uh, system. And yeah. so I, I sort of uh, uh, during freshman orientation, there was a guy who took me through. Uh, he, he was p- part of this martial arts club, and he you know, took me through a couple of the schools, but uh, I was particularly interested in the teacher and the system of, of Burmese Bando that was being taught. It it, it just had a, a flavor of authenticity to it and and uh, uh, it really appealed to me. And, and my nature is that I, I tend to appeal to things that are a little off the beaten path and mm-hmm. less uh, popular and so forth. So... I started training in that and uh, continued uh, training in, in Bando and, uh, uh, and am now an eighth level black belt in, in the American Bando Association system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led me to training uh, uh, in Burma as well in 1970. Uh, seven. I went to Burma for the first time and, and met with uh, uh, Saya. Saya is a word means sensei or teacher in, in Burmese. Okay. And uh, uh, so on. So that was my initiation into real training martial art. Uh, but uh, I took my degree, my bachelor's degree in Asian studies focused on China. And it was my intention to Pursue a career in international business with a focus on Asia, uh, and as part of my bachelor's degree program, I was sent to Taiwan in 1976 uh, and studied Chinese and language, culture, history uh, at Donghai Tashi in uh, Taichung, Taiwan. Um, and you know, there, there was a whole you know. Before I left, I had reached out to Robert Smith. Right. Uh, and uh, because my the university i was going to to was in washington dc and that's where he was you know still employed with the cia and and uh uh living in the area in bethesda maryland and i i wrote my undergraduate thesis on the history of, of chinese martial arts and had asked him if i could you know avail myself of his library and I met up with him a couple of times. Uh, he was kind enough uh, with with the deposit of a check to let me borrow a couple of his books. <laughs> Just so you
0: don't leave with him, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: And uh, um, then when I was preparing to leave for Taiwan, I, I reached out to him again to, to ask about the best ways to identify teachers and so forth. Right. I mean, his book, uh, Chinese Boxing Masters and Methods, yeah. I had gotten... For Christmas around 1974 or something, and and it was like an a la carte menu of Chinese martial arts in Taiwan, <laughs> and uh, uh, I had read it many times over. Yeah, I
0: have a copy. I think most most uh, most definitely older Chinese martial arts practitioners of Xingyi Bagua Taiji would definitely have it in their collection. I don't know if the younger generation are familiar with. With Robert Smith, but I mean, for the time that he released that book, it was really one of the first and only sources you had coming out of that part of the world that had uh, firsthand uh, knowledge contained within it. And it's not a big book; it's not like uh, 500 pages. It's pretty thin, but you know, I-, I remember reading that as well many many years ago, and just being like, "Wow!" You know, uh, it's 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 even for a short book, there's it just
1: awes you. You get kind of drawn into a world over there. So. Indeed, and and his prose style was very articulate and uh, appealing. Yeah. And uh, the the introductions were were very personable. Um, and uh, you know, I enjoyed reading a lot. Uh, you know, his advice was uh, uh, to take whiskey for them as a gift. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, you're not going to have Baijo available, so whiskey is the next best option. Uh,
1: <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so I, when I arrived in Taiwan, it, I, I don't know how much deep depth you want me to go into the whole process of, you know, identifying teachers and things, but, no, I uh, think
0: that's interesting. I mean, you go as deep as you want to go.
1: Okay. Well, uh, my, my father was a, an executive with Coca-Cola, uh, in the international division. And he had, uh. Introduced me or set up a meeting for for me to meet with the head of Coca Cola in Taiwan, and uh, so this is a hot summer in in Taipei. Uh, At first, uh, we were studying at the at the Shifandashue Guoyu Zhongxin in Taipei for the first for the summer portion of the program, Mm -hmm. and I went to visit this guy. Mentioned that my interest in martial arts. Oh yeah, great. Okay, I know Jimmy Wang Yu. Mm. Uh, now, Jimmy Wang Yu is the actor um, of the One-Armed Swordsman series yeah. and so forth. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 let me set up a meeting with him. You know, he and his guys, they're, they're all training all the time. They're sort of a rough and tumble bunch. Okay, so about a week later, uh, I reached out to him again. You know, when can I meet with Jimmy Wong Yu? Ah, sorry, uh, Jimmy was uh, sort of arrested in a gangster brawl last week. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's not gonna work um <laughs> it kind of throws a so, spanner in the works but it makes it all yeah, that yeah, more so intriguing
0: yeah. as well at the same time so yeah
1: so i i had smith's book with me and uh all right what do i do now and i i knew that uh Liao Wuchang, the monkey boxer was was located in in um uh, taipei mm and i, I don 't remember how I was able to find out where he was uh, at that point i didn 't have any contact with the Guoshu Federation or anything, but um, somehow i i I found out where he lived, and I reached out and and I went with my bottle of whiskey and uh, at the appointed time and waited all afternoon and he didn 't see me. And then finally, somebody came down and says, come back tomorrow, which I assume was just a test right. of patience and so forth, persistence. And the next day, I came back. And he um, at that point, I only had about three weeks left in Taipei mm. before I went to uh, the central Taiwan, to Taichung. Uh, so he was kind enough to, to say, you know, there's no, no, there's no use in trying to train with me. But he gave me his name card, and he put his chop on it, which was useful. And right. he uh, he said, when you go to Taichung, reach out to Gao Fangxian. And uh, Gao, Gao was a, a fellow profiled in Smith's book as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so when I went to Taichung, uh, started out with the Mandarin class, and it turned out that my teacher was a, sort of this deep, deep-voiced guy from northeast China. But he, uh, uh, again, I told him of my interest in training martial art and and finding Gao Fangxian. And he said, oh, yeah, I know him. So the next Sunday he took me down to the Taichung Park to meet Gao. And having Liao's card was was useful a, a useful introduction, and he accepted me as a student. And it turned out, bonus, that... Uh, Gao was the chief instructor at the Donghai University uh, Guoshu Club. Oh, so wow. he he would come out to the university twice a week, and then I would go down to Taichung Park on the Sundays to train as well. And uh, Gao was a wonderful man. He was a retired general from the Guomindang Army. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not, as as Smith profiled, one of these sort of... Fake generals um, he had led the Ta tao in Shandong, which is the big uh, sword group the big sword group, yeah uh, in, in the resistance against Japan yeah. and was fighting behind enemy lines, had been captured and tortured uh, and, and escaped um, and basically their mission was to harry the enemy by blowing up infrastructure and mm. and so forth
0: yeah
1: um. And prior to that military career, he had been, uh, you know, a martial arts guy in in uh, Qingdao. Uh, he had been a, a Shandong wrestling champion in the late twenties. Um, went through the Qingdao Guoshu Academy curriculum and became a, a, a instructor. I, I'm perhaps even chief instructor there. I'm not sure. Hmm.
0: Um,
1: and and then into the military. So he was he was a hands-on guy practical fighting teacher and the systems that he taught though were were well-structured traditional systems and and he was very generous he never charged a penny Wow! uh, taught me anything that i was ready to to learn as soon as as i'd finished the last thing right and uh was just a you know wonderful inspiration um so with him, I studied uh, uh, tai Ziuquan, mm-hmm. Um the first and second forms. He he said he had forgotten the third one, um, and Sun Bin Chen, the uh, long sleeves boxing or Sun Bin boxing, mm. uh, which is a nerve striking system from Shandong, um, and. Before that, I, he had he put me through the the basic uh, Guoshu form that everybody learns, lian bu chen. Yeah. Con- Did you do gong li as well? No. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and I didn't learn the other one that's that was popular with his group, more basic form, um, uh, lian wu zhang, lian wu zhang, training the martial palm.
0: Right.
1: But uh, a lot of his. Uh, Forms. A lot of his interpretations uh, included tripping, sweeping, and throwing, which was good, uh, and uh, came out of his
0: wrestling background, yeah.
1: background. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I also learned uh, with him uh, San Tai Jin, right? Which was one of his his favorite forms, uh, and I, he gave me a copy of his handwritten book. Uh, on the on the form and the and the two-man facing pattern. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I told him I was interested in Xing Yi Quan and he arranged for another guy to come out and teach me uh, Wu Xing and uh, uh, the uh, Xing Yi Jian. Okay. Um, so that was a lot for, you know, nine months.
0: No, that is a and, lot of content for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when i went back to the us I, I, I continued training that and uh i competed doing the um tai boxing and and won some uh prizes for that it was it's a really good chang form yeah and uh, um, in the meanwhile uh while i was in taiwan i met uh, a woman that i uh, fell in love with and asked her to marry me and uh told her, I'll come back in a year and and we'll get married, and she said, yeah, 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 right, I'll believe it when I see it. And <laughs> and uh, uh, I did, uh, started graduate school in international management, and then halfway through, flew back to Taiwan, got married, uh, brought her to the U.S., and then finished my program there mm. and was hired by a U.S. company uh, in 1979 to... Go to Singapore as regional manager Far East. Okay. So I'm at the tender age of uh, 22, uh, and uh, you're off married. to Singapore and married with a Taiwanese had, Taiwanese lady. With a Taiwanese wife, and, yeah. and 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 yeah, off for the adventure. So it had been my hope and intention to get a job, land a job in in Asia, mm. and uh, uh, traveling throughout Asia and uh be able to train and so forth so well could i uh, ask
0: you a couple of questions that have come to mind your initial idea and your drive to study and and get involved in the uh, for example business within within asia itself was that would you say that was uh the underlying or even subconscious or conscious rationale for that was because of your interest in asian culture and martial arts or was it because of the burgeoning prospect of Asia's uh, business boom?
1: Um, it was uh, the former. The, the, yeah. You know, I, I wanted to train martial art in Asia, and uh, I wanted to be able to. You know, I, I, my parents weren't wouldn't have been happy if I had just said I want to be a budo bum, and, and uh, you
0: know. Oh, I've been there. I know what that's like. like. I know. What yeah. The, yeah. So that makes perfect sense to me.
1: I mean, when at the end of my first year, uh, at the end of my year studying in Taiwan, I had written my father and said, I think I, I think I'm going to I want I'd like to stay here, you know, for another year. And and it was like, eh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I went back, but um, uh, got into a, a master's degree program at Thunderbird, which mm-hmm. is a. A wonderful university graduate school in the u.s. that in its from its inception had only focused on international business okay. degrees and was very had a very practical program uh, That was highly regarded by companies seeking uh, you know young potential uh, international business people and uh, That worked out well for me great and um, yeah,
0: and um... I just want to, for the, I wasn't so familiar on the system of Bando. I only, I only have a cursory understanding of, of Bando itself. Would you say it's like many of the Southeast Asian arts? I mean, most people are familiar with arts that come out of, um, Indonesia and the Philippines like Silat and, uh, Arnis and, and Eskrima and things like that. Would you say that it's, uh, similar in the sense that it's, uh, weapon heavy, uh, focused or... Is it some, something closer to what we understand in Chinese martial arts practice where there's a focus on both, but a lot of he- bare hand practice as well?
1: That's a good question. Um, Burma is sort of at the crossroads of, of, of many civilizations and uh, has had a long and bellicose history fighting mm. with its neighbors. <laughs>
0: right. Well, I mean, there, there's a city there called Siem Reap. I've been there. Uh, no, no, that's sorry. That's Cambodia. That's um, Cambodia. Yeah, 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 that's right. So I'm confused. I've been to Myanmar as well, which is, which is what we're talking about. Yeah, sorry. Uh, for some reason, I had, a, I had a brain fart right there. And for some reason, my brain no connected words. Siem Reap and, uh, and Burma, which Siem Reap actually means defeating Siam. Uh, so I think that whole area uh, had uh, conflict with neighbors one and all uh, in, in general. But anyway, sorry, carry on.
1: So the martial arts and the culture in Burma have have received influence from India mm. and China and neighbors to the east and Thailand and the south uh, from the Malay archipelago and, and Indonesian archipelago. But uh, and and martially have received influence as well. Plus they have their own indigenous systems. As um, term in terms of the weapon heavy aspect. Uh, Bando the American Bando Association requires to get a black belt that you have to be proficient in empty, in an empty hand system and in two weapon areas mm. um, so um the there there are animal systems uh they're not exactly the same animals as in in Xingyi or in Shaolin mm. but there's some overlap um and generally speaking, you know, after you train bundle basics, uh, fundamentals, and, and empty hand system, then uh, based on your temperament and your body type uh, and your fighting style, the the teacher will sort of channel you in toward one animal or another. Okay. And in my case, uh, because I'm I'm not heavily muscled and I have long arms, long limbs uh the system i channeled into is the eagle system okay so it's similar uh, it's similar uh, the way it it manifests power and striking and so forth it's similar to uh white crane uh and then it also has a eagle claw grabbing um uh seizing component to it as well right uh I have also trained in the cobra system, which is a nerve-striking system. Mm. Mm. But other systems that I'm fascinated by uh, are, for instance, the python system, which uh, the python you know hangs hangs up in a tree, waits for prey to come below it, falls onto the prey, wraps around it, drags it to the ground, chokes it to death, and then consumes it. Mm. Um, and and similarly, the the python stylist will. You know, will block a limb and then wrap around it and just you know take the arm out of the socket or the leg out of the socket. Uh, one technique: uh, if you parry and scoop uh, the opponent's kick, you will kick over his kick, drop oh, wow. your leg onto the top of his oh, that'll leg, destroy the hip. But then, then it, it doesn't stop there. <laughs> <laughs> then you just go into a full forward roll. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah it it's vicious and and practical and uh uh I'm not a python, but uh, you know, I admire those guys. There's a panther system tiger system uh uh the viper which which is single point striking into deeper organ targets than than the cobra um, uh yeah, and so on. So that sounds very interesting. Weapons-wise, my focus is stick and sword, in particular the Kukri. Uh, now, you might say, okay, Kukri is a Nepalese weapon. How come it's in the Bando Burmese curriculum? The fellow who brought Bando to America, uh, Umong Ji, his father was a, a, an ethnic Gurkha who had fought in World War II with the Gurkhas. And oh. uh, uh, his mother was, was uh, from Burma. And uh, so he was raised, uh, being trained in in, in a, a number of martial arts. There was a, a, a place called the Military Athletic Club in Mandalay uh, in the in the 30s. It was a, an officers' club for a non-British mili- military people, and uh, the father, you know, would train there, have his son train around with different people, and. Uh, um so the kukri is is one of the principal bladed weapons we train but also the da which is sort of a uh, slender broad sword, mm. um uh, similar to the Thai da but right. uh, but the generally the burmese da is a little longer um, uh in the blade and um the principal stick weapon i've trained in in long staff uh sort of a medium uh chin high staff as well as a a short staff which is about the length of from your wrist to your armpit uh and in that uh the, the the founder of the system asked that i become one of the principal people to pass on what's called wizard wand which is a short stick system in which you're using a lot of sleight of hand or this stick is appearing and disappearing in front of the opponent as you strike and change angles directions Very and interesting. so, forth. Yeah. Um, so I, I describe that as, a, as a, a, a a performance of magic for an audience of one because from the <laughs> from the side or from the back the the the, the Techniques do, don't appear magical. The stick doesn't really disappear. But from the opponent's perspective, um, it's it should be appearing and disappearing. And like, what happened to that? Where did it go? Yeah.
0: Oh, okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. The cookery I've also been quite fascinated with throughout my life. Um, I have a few of them as well. I bought a couple from antique stores that I've managed to bump into over the years, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I I I kind of I don't know if you're familiar with um there's a theory that I I don't know its validity or not, but when I first saw Kukris due to my, you know, love of weapons and history and military history, I, I instantly saw a great similarity with an ancient Greek sword called a Kopis. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know what this sword looks like. Yes. And it's very similar, both in design. There's some differences, of course, um, but it's very similar in design and in weighting, et cetera, the the weight uh, placement on the blade, and mm-hmm. most definitely um, with with its main function to, you know, cut as deeply and as uh, due to the design as deeply and as uh, brutally as possible. And uh, there is a theory that I've heard that um, this may have Alexander's been a remnant blade. of yeah of Alexander's armies going into. Mm-hmm into that part of the world and then they would have been using the
1: copus for sure i don't know if you're, you're familiar with I this. have, i'm familiar with the theory and, and i think richard burton in his writings about the sword the book of the sword uh... talked about that uh, you know about 120, hundred and twenty hundred and forty years ago now but um... yeah i don't know the veracity of it there's mm. uh... some people discover things um, you know, just separately, but they, they they lead to the same direction. Correct. Uh, but it's it's entirely possible that, uh, that remnants of the copus were were imitated and tra- You know, uh, and developed there. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know for sure. I don't know if anybody could confirm it unless they found some copus uh, in in exactly. Nepal. Yeah. You know, from way back when. but uh, I think yeah. we're
0: quite quick as humans to try to simplify things as, uh, well, it all came from here and then it came from there. Meanwhile, humanity has been somewhat developing similar or the same things in different parts of the world at the same time without any connection to one another. So, mm-hmm. I mean, wrestling is a perfect example that they always try to... Different groups try to say, oh, the oldest is this one. No, it's not really the oldest is monkeys wrestling with each other. That's before we were even humans. So it's a very much a human activity. And of course, it's going to appear in different societies and civilizations without any contact with one another. So and weapon and using tools and then using weaponry to survive is, is common as well. So, yeah, I think we sometimes have a bit of a, a myopic view of, of these things.
1: But the kukri is a very uh, practical weapon. Its uh, uh, cutting power is is is, is amazing. Mm. Um, you have this heavily front weighted blade that, and and the way we use it, there's what we call a reducing radius cut. So you're, if you start with your shoulder and you drop your elbow and then you're dropping your wrist and then the then the, the at the end of it that weight that sword is uh, dropping into the target um, it's uh, uh very powerful mm. uh the curvature is makes it excellent for for blocking and parrying uh incoming weapons uh and we we have a number of ways of using it uh you can draw it with the with the uh, back of the blade the ham- the, the the heavy uh, spine of the blade to break bones if you don't want to have a non-lethal draw. Mm. Uh, there's uh, reverse draws. There's um, and we also use it uh, with sort of a two-handed thrust. And, you know, some of our people have demonstrated uh, you know, punching the kukri through a car door. It's uh, yeah. I've had I've had people I posted a, online once a, a video of me uh, doing a, a a thrust into cardboard and then what we'll do is you, you punch the blade in and then you, you're twisting it uh, 90 degrees to open the wound and and cut out um, and somebody said oh the cookie's not a thrusting weapon it's too heavy it's too thick it's whatever but uh, you know I, sorry I don't believe it
0: well, maybe it's not primarily a thrusting weapon, it's, but to say that it right. doesn't have thrust is just silly.
1: Yeah, yeah. It has a uh, tip
0: for that particular reason.
1: It, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's not a slender ice pick, that's for sure. Mm. But um, the uh, the nature of the wound is going to be pretty sad. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so when I was in Singapore, I I did. Uh, Continue training on my own in, in Master Gao systems uh, And the company I was with moved us back to Taiwan in 1982 and at that point I uh, Master Gao had died. He, had, he passed away mm. and uh, I was looking to train with somebody else. I, I first uh, I reached out to uh, Gao Daosheng who was a uh, praying mantis uh, Stylist from, also from yes. Shandong. Tang
0: long show guy.
1: Tanglang, yeah, and uh, uh, asked if he could uh, teach me the facing pattern of the six directions staff form that Liu uh, He uh, that uh, Master Gao had taught. I had learned the the single pattern from him, and so he arranged one of his students to to uh, teach me that. Mm. And he also uh, had. Uh, Sun Shaotang, who is a also from Shandong, uh, one of these <laughs> Shandong clique, uh, hmm. come down from uh, from Culture University, uh, and he reviewed the Sun Bin boxing with me, and um, that was useful. Uh, but I, I didn't want to bai shi with with Gao Daosheng. I didn't want to start over again with with praying mantis and uh, I didn't really see where it would get me anywhere past what I'd learned in, in Bando and, and with Master Gao. Um, but uh, I was traveling in my job throughout the region and had reached out to Robert Smith um, to, to ask if he could introduce me to Don Drager. Wow. And uh, uh, he did, and uh, I visited uh, Don Drager in, in Tokyo around the end of 1982, uh, no, sorry, uh, in 1980, and uh, uh, he was a wonderful contact and a very generous, uh, warm, funny, um, but also very interested in learning and listening and, and uh, uh, observing uh, things.
0: Well, he was a Uh, pioneer that was one of my heroes still is, but you know, was when I was growing up and reading accounts of people that had gone out there and actually done the footwork that uh, pioneered the path for a lot of people. And um, indeed, yeah. Uh,
1: And, and you know, between Smith and Drager, um, Drager was much more personable. Um, much more sharing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, less curmudgeonly, I would describe Smith as being curmudgeonly.
0: <laughs> why do you but, think it, that is? I mean, I, they there. The one is obviously he works for the CIA, etc. but Drago was also a military man. So why do you think that there was such a contrast in their openness?
1: Well, I, I mean, their living circumstances, mm-hmm. um, and And the work, the nature of the work. i mean, uh, Smith was was a career CIA person. He was there even when I uh, first met him. I, I did visit him a couple times after he retired, but um, uh, Draeger was retired from the military. He had been a marine. He had fought in the uh, island wars uh, crossing the Pacific uh, against the Japanese. He had been based in, in uh, Tianjin, I think it was, mm. briefly after uh, the end of uh, World War II, and then was transferred to Japan, where he was uh, embassy guard service, I think. Mm. And, and then he, you know he cashiered uh, got, you know, from the military and uh, uh, got a degree somewhere I don't remember where but uh, uh, stayed in Japan. And uh, pursued his interest in training um, uh, martial art. Because he he and Smith had both been uh, judo players Mm. before the war, I think. And uh, uh, so he pursued his interest in staying in Japan, became fluent in Japanese. Eventually embedded himself within a number of the koryu, the the, uh, traditional uh, schools, uh, of Japanese fighting arts, yeah. achieving you know his his teacher's certificate in, in Katori Shinto Ryu uh, under Otake Rizuki, and in uh, Shindo Muzo Ryu, which is the Jodo system. Yeah, um, and he also made major contributions to the uh, uh, Japanese performance of uh, and training of preparations for judo competitions prior to the, uh, I think it was the 1964 Olympics when, when judo was introduced. Yeah. Yeah. And, and added much more of the, uh, power training and weight training to their regimen.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, he was, no stranger to that side of training. But you know, I also, as you mentioned, Katori. That was one of the, he was one of the reasons that got me interested in looking into Katori and I've always been fascinated with him. I've got uh Risuke's books, etc and yeah, it was very interesting. It's it's quite a it's quite a turnaround to go from, you know, um I mean if you think about it, not that it's any there's no dichotomy, I'm sure, in his own mind, that he was fighting the Japanese and then he became a student of the Japanese. So yeah, that's over here. You know what the the Chinese mentality is like with that regard. So it, it's it's a little bit more closed off to oh the the you know to to being open to the Japanese uh, arts I simply because it depends
1: on whether you're on the receiving end or the delivery end. of yeah, defeating them
0: <laughs> that kind of that kind of does do that does does have an impact, I'm sure. So, but it's it's impressive that he managed to get into such a closed off um guarded uh system like katori and be accepted as a foreigner uh, that's yes. no small feat
1: yes cuz katori not- i
0: mean if people don't know katori is very closely related to their native religion there's a katori temple that's actually where the 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 name of it comes from so um this is you know it's it's considered a japanese spiritual practice to hand it over with its connection Recognizing a non-Japanese is not really something that was, especially in Draga's time, uh, easy or common. It was probably no. unheard of.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, to become embedded in a system like that, yeah, not not easy. I'm sure. I never asked him about the early days, but I, I, now that you ask, or we're talking about, it, I think I recall hearing the story of him going and basically standing in the snow outside of uh, Otake Rizuki's dojo um, for, like, overnight. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure if I'm mixing that memory up with something else. Well, as long as you
0: you don't remember him cutting his arm off and painting the snow red, then you're mixing up the story. (laughs) No, no, no.
1: But, um, you know, I I do have an anecdote about Blood and and the, the, their school. Um, mm-hmm. uh, on I, I think the second time I went out to visit them and watch their training. Uh, they they have okay one characteristic of the of their training is that their their facing patterns are done with solid wooden weapons full power, mm-hmm. um, and the only thing that is adjusted. To protect the students is the the my the the, the combative engagement distance between the two opponents. Mm. So uh, if you move closer to the opponent, then all of the applications become contact uh, applications on the on the opponent's body, if you can imagine. Mm. So th- there is one sequence that I I watch these guys do, and uh, uh, imagine your opponent is coming at you with a, a full power downward cut toward your head. You crouch down uh, on, onto your left knee with your right knee forward and you, you've got your sword raised up above your head and you're, you're deflecting mm-hmm. his blow. Then you rise up out of the stance, parrying his sword to your right, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, the, the fellow I watched who is, who is receiving the, the cut his, his distance was not perfect. It was a little too close to the opponent. The tip of his sword, the tip of his bokken, caught the opponent um, right at the, where, the, where the nose joins the eye socket uh. and f- knocked open, cut open a big chunk of flesh. Uh, now, the, the opponent just stood rock solid in a, in a, with his sword raised, staring down his opponent blood dripping on the floor now this is a wooden floor until otake sensei runs out you know (laughs) says get the hell off the floor with a with a with a rag to wipe up the blood you're ruining Uh, the floor you're ruining the floor exactly so in, in most schools this guy would be gone for the day right yeah um if not you know until it healed over uh he left went and got stitches came back for the same class. <laughs>
0: oh, wow. I've, I've actually taken a blow to the exact same point on my nose with a staff and mm. I didn't realize it was knocked open. I carried on training until everyone stopped and was staring at me. And I was like, what's up? And I'm yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. You need to go to the hospital. I was like, mm. so sometimes at that moment you don't feel it. But honestly speaking, even afterwards, I went to get stitches. I still didn't really feel it. I think the next day there was a bit of bruising, obviously the bone, et cetera, but the cut itself was oddly numb. It was quite mm. numb, but it did, it did look gruesome. It was bleeding all down my face and, and whatnot, but yeah, it's, it's not a nice place to get hit for sure.
1: One of those marks of training that, that, you know, you can show people later on. Yeah. Yeah. This scar came from, the- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
0: you you've um, you were sorry. We kind of got into Don Drager, and uh, you were telling us um, you 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 got in contact with him.
1: Yes, and so yeah. Uh, so he he introduced me to a number of people that were part of the uh, Japan uh, Bujutsu scene. Um, Mike Scoss, Larry Bieri, uh, and. Ellis Amder. Right. And uh, uh, Ellis was training with Sudong Cheng in, in Japan, mm-hmm. among other things. He was he's he was a high level exponent in Araki ryu and Aikido and in uh, Toroha Bukoryu uh, Naginata system. But uh, he was also training in with Sudong Cheng in, in uh Yizong Tang Dao, the system that uh, Hong Yi had passed down. Right. And uh, uh, he wrote me in the, the late 1982 saying, uh, my wife and I are coming down to Taiwan, you know, could you help me f- find out where Hong Yixiang lives and set up a, a, a meeting, I'd like to meet him. Right. So I contacted the Guoshu Federation and and got Hong's address and, and uh, you know, I had, uh, you know, I had the the menu, the a la carte menu that Smith had written and I had mm-hmm. read about Hong many times, but I had, I had sort of decided I wasn't interested in training with him or seeking him out because the way Smith described him, uh, wasn't appealing to me, you know, chain smoking, drinking a lot, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But by the time, uh, uh, I went to meet him, uh, he, he, wasn't smoking anymore. He didn't drink so much. And, uh, you know, he was, he was, Quite amazing, uh, you could Im- immediately see the quality of his movement and how interconnected it was, how you know the, the full body expression oh. of power and and even though he was a big guy, he moved very smoothly um, and uh, uh, that was something that i I wanted and something that I felt would take my training to the next level right so after that. Uh, meeting, I, I reached out to them and asked if I could uh, become a student and went through an interview with uh, his oldest son, uh, Hong Soo jou and was told at that time that, well, you know, we don't like dilettantes and we don't like, uh, uh, you know, people who don't make a commitment. And, um, you know, I said, I, I, I want. I'm interested to learn Bagua, and he says, well, you know, you're going to have to learn, you're going to have to train in the Shingi for five years before we'll talk about that. Right. Um,
0: Which, by the way, is pretty common, actually. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people today, they kind of treat martial arts schools like McDonald's, uh, that they yep. can just do whatever they want to. Right. But even, even my teacher would teach you, I mean, he'd recommend you to do Shingi as a base before you, you, he starts teaching you Bagua. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they uh uh, you know, they said you'll have to, you know, commit to five years training with Xingyi and we don't want you training another Chen Fa uh during this time, you know, focus on what we're teaching you. So with my fingers kinda of crossed behind my back and I figured I could <laughs> I could continue training weapons systems in in Bando and not Well they said
0: far, right exactly. <laughs> they didn't say yeah. Bingfar
1: <laughs> So uh I uh, made that commitment and and was there and we can started training and at that time there I I should mention that Hong school had gone through several iterations it, uh and in, in the 19, late 1950s, uh, you know, it had been largely locals, large number of local students. In the 60s, they, they had, had a large school for locals, and then they had training the U.S. Uh, GIs. Mm. Um, and then in uh, the 70s, things had died down. And by the time I was training with him, and this is just after the release of the BBC documentary, which I, I hadn't seen actually until some years later, but okay. um, uh, the the training was in one floor of, of a block of uh, that they owned, uh, where they had a, maintained an apartment a, as a training hall. And if you remember the BBC Wait, seared the video, you? it's filmed inside that training hall, so you can see the size of it and so on. Right. Um, so not a lot of students there were you know the maximum that could really be fit in there comfortably be would might be a dozen people but there were rarely that many students on any one night um Mm. so you know in the in the 60s when they would train you'd have 300 students and they would line up you know 150 facing 150 all shapes and sizes and they would work on a technique or two techniques uh and you'd you'd try it against the guy facing you, and he'd try it against you and back and forth, and then you'd you'd move to the left and move to the right like a square dance, and try it with the next guy and everybody had a different flavor, everybody had a different size and shape and power and so forth, and so you would learn to uh, adjust that one technique to use against all kinds of different people, so that was a a level of of uh, realism and and practicality and so forth that that we didn't have at the time I was training, but the difference is that we got a lot more attention from Master Hong, and we were training uh, the forms of the system as a way of transmitting the content of of, of the system, right and uh, um the this generally speaking the students who were there had had some experience before uh and that would have included fighting and so forth mm. uh there there weren't people who were coming just from scratch to learn the system right right so you know the the what i got out of it would would and and my mm, uh, achieve, not achievement, what do you call it when my harvest, if you will, mm. would be very different from let's say Bob you in Wisconsin who had trained in the earlier generation of students
0: Oh okay even a yeah. different, even a different approach, I would assume
1: yeah, i mean the the approach to transmitting the system was fundamentally different Right. Uh, and uh, therefore, what we ended up with was uh, was different. Um, right, right. And so, about six months later, uh, uh, Marcus Brinkman, whom I know you've interviewed, yes. uh, came, and uh, uh, Abi Moria uh, in Israel from Israel, yes, came. Yeah, there was a fellow Ashley Hines, who's a Welshman, and he was there, um, and uh, uh, some locals as well. So yeah, a mix. Okay.
0: Well, he was Hong Yixiang quite open to teaching foreigners fully. Um, did he have no no qualms about that? You know, sometimes you hear about um, some hesitancy to teach in outright, but in other instances, it's hesitancy to teach as deeply. Um, did, he, did he did he have any any of that? Uh, in the early stages or was that something that was
1: not even a thought I, I I don't think it was a thought I think it was more you know what's your commitment uh, to the system mm. and how much are you getting out of it when I when I show you something are you actually trying to internalize it or yes. are, are just you know playing around um, and uh, you know, once you reach a level or you show a, a spark of of a hint that you, you're you're getting it, <laughs> he would he would then open up and show you the next the next thing. Yeah, that's my
0: experience uh, with my teacher as well. Um, and I, I would say that I think it's not even an issue of ethnicity; it's an issue of genuineness and mm-hmm. uh, eagerness to learn. And if you're not eager and you're not genuine and not giving it your full, he's you're not he's not going to teach you as deeply and if you are eager genuine and trying your 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 best then they open up and it's been my experience with most teachers uh there have been a few but i would say it's a it's a minimum it's a it's a minority that outright would not want to teach as deeply to foreigners but as i said um i think most of the chinese martial arts teachers that i've met once they see you being very genuine and and trying your best, and it's actually reaping rewards, then they open up.
1: I mean, the, the idea of, of the master, what they say, withholding a hand, the Oisho, mm. uh, and reserving something for himself just to protect himself and, and his, his mm-hmm. progeny and so forth, uh, doesn't, is not just applied to his relations with foreigners. It's right. across the board. So yeah. to the extent that a teacher does that, he's not just doing it to foreign students, I don't think. Yeah. Now, there is the, the language barrier there and so forth. But, uh, but Master Hong had already gone through, uh, let's say, the, the criticism of his peers. Why are you teaching foreigners? Mm. Um, back in the 60s when, when he set up the training for the GIs. Right. And uh, you know a lot of this is dealt with in the book uh, that, that I just translated that's coming out uh, yes. blurred boundaries, and um, so you know he, he he had already dealt with that. And some people say, oh, the the babu da and the body and show these hmm. these uh, eight eight step fighting and eight consecutive fists and so forth that he had created were were just watered down versions. Uh, so that he could teach foreigners something that wasn't the real art. Mm. But that's not the case. He, he's he got, you know, however long, however many months to train these guys to get them ready to actually be able to use something. Right. And he crystallized techniques that he felt were practical and powerful, some of which, you know, he would begin to teach them internal body dynamics. But, uh, you know, as you know... Uh, I mean, I've been working on Tai for forty years now, and mm-hmm. I'm sure I, I'm still only a fraction of the where I need to be to be where you know Sun Lutang was when he created the system. You know, right? So it's it's uh, a GI doesn't have that kind of time to invest.
0: <laughs> but he's also, you know, that's the other thing about it too. It's like. I think, uh, when people create such forms that you just mentioned, it's also in line with the goals of the student and the goals of those students were very clear. They weren't coming to learn the culture, the history, right. the full system in all the, I mean, there'll be aspects that, that are somewhat useless in today's modern society and they, and, and they don't want to learn that. So it was something that was made specifically with a specific goal in mind. Uh, Mm -hmm. in line with what those learners wanted so yeah for sure and that's why i find i find the comments quite misguided when you hear a lot of foreigners saying oh okay but that's not that particular part of that technique is not or that particular part of that form is not very good for for uh fighting on its own and i'm like okay but not it's the you're here to learn the system as a full which includes cultural elements so there's some aspects in there that are cultural. Okay. You can cut them out, but are you, are you going to, is it, are we going to call it the full traditional system if you cut that out? I mean, it's okay to identify aspects and what they're for, but don't throw the baby out with a bathwater because then you might as well just be doing a very focused, uh, set of practices with one simple goal in mind. But I find that Chinese martial arts does not have only one simple goal in mind. It has a predominant goal, which is its foundation, but there's a lot more on top of that too. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. and for me, that's the value in it all. I mean, the beauty in it all is, is the lifelong, you know, uh, you're trying to achieve and attain and understand that whole thing as a, as a whole, uh, not just one aspect of it. Mm -hmm.
1: there's a paper that my Bando teacher uh, Dr. Jeff Wilcher wrote back around 1973, 74 that he shared with me and it it had a huge impact on my way of thinking and looking at any school of martial art that I I, I would enter into Um, but it also speaks to some of these other Uh, purposes that a martial art can be changed by or changed through. Um, But essentially, he he took uh, the approach from ethology and looking at animal and human behaviors Mm. uh, and and in particular uh, predatory and uh, aggression uh, behaviors um, where aggression is typically intraspecies between the same species mm. whereas predation is is interspecies um, and the combative behaviors are very different and uh, uh, I think a lot of of karate or Japanese uh, the the dou systems as budo as opposed mm. to bujutsu, and some Chinese systems over time have been affected or impacted by this this differentiation. Where uh, in aggression, the uh, animals fighting tend to square off face to face. They tend to display their weapons clearly as a threat display they tend to attack frontally and most importantly when one animal concedes uh, the, 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 the fighting stops Right, uh, and the result is a strengthening of the community of, of, of those particular animals because the stronger of them gets the territory, the water, the mating rights, the females and so forth. Whereas in predation the uh the the animal the predator doesn't face off uh with with his opponent they they tend to approach from outside angles and the behind ambush they hide their weapons they use stealth and uh ambush um and they don't give up (laughs) at all until they've gotten what they want or until they 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 are beaten back and re- realize that there's an easier way to get lunch somewhere <laughs> else so the the um, sometimes systems are impacted by the need to let's say transmit them for different reasons uh, it, to the extent let's say that that taiji has become something where the main focus is health and and uh, Self cultivation. Yeah. Uh, the, it, its transmission can change, the, its intention can change, and so forth. Um, and that doesn't mean that embedded down in, somewhere inside it is not these functionalities, but um, the way of transmitting something changes too. When you want to transmit an art to 10,000 people, the techniques have to be clear mm. for everybody to see, which means clear for the opponent to see, which means that they become sort of axiomatically more focused on aggression. Mm. And, and if to the extent that we have uh, an art has a threat display or that makes big movements or uh, uh, so forth, then, then it's basically focused on the aggression side of it of getting the opponent to back down by through this threat display right um so yeah that that was an interesting seminal paper that he wrote that has influenced me a lot and and i, I shared that with with don drager when i met him and he was very impressed because he had uh, not impressed with me but impressed with with dr wilcher's work yeah. yeah um the uh uh he he had worked to reestablish uh, an academic discipline called haplology yes which is the way i define it is is sort of um man in relationship to the weapons and martial systems that he creates and and martial culture as a as a from an anthropological point of view and uh, um, uh, this lens that 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 uh Jeff Wilcher had had explained really is useful uh, when you go into a system and you if you see uh, you can see things that the teachers themselves or that the system the people within the system don't see mm. uh, and can analyze it um, it's been it's been useful
0: yeah. I've I've seen some of the the hoplological society. I think it still continues, and I've seen some of them Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I've seen some of their stuff and some of their discussions, etc. It's all very fascinating. It's all very fascinating. It's all very meaningful as well. But I'm quite impressed with that uh, that paper that you just uh, just mentioned because it makes a lot of sense as well. And we see this with I mentioned it earlier uh, wrestling that comes through primates and humans as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's a form of play, but it's also a form of dominance. It is not a form of murdering, uh, the person you're wrestling with because that would destroy society. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a form of actually improving the strength of the social unit within which this practice comes from. So it's a, it's an ancient human mammal slash primate practice with that embedded in it. hmm that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So we were, we were onto Hong Yichang, which is a very interesting part of your, your, your story. And I think, um, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you have more yeah. about that.
1: Yeah. So, um, training with, with him was, uh, he would be there in the class every night and, uh, one or, or two of his sons, he had <clears throat> three sons who trained, mm. So there would usually be uh, at least two of them there, coaching us as well. Uh, Hong Zhou, who's the uh, oldest son mm-hmm. that we would refer to as Da Ge, but because foreigners mispronounced it, and he particularly liked this, this mispronunciation, he liked to be called Tiger. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Hong Han, the middle son, with whom I train now, mm-hmm. and Hong Pei, the youngest son. Um, so, uh, we would work on forms and uh, uh, some applications, and about once every two months, maybe we would don the the fighting uh, apparatus mm-hmm. that Hong had developed. And and this is again something that's featured in the in the book Blurred Boundaries, the the gestation of the of the equipment that he had created mm-hmm. um, very early on before jun uh, safety kick and safety punch and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, he was trying to figure out how can we get people to be able to spar full contact without, you know, losing students <laughs> and losing teeth. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, they created this uh, chest protector, mm-hmm. which was layers of, of uh, canvas and bamboo slats and heavy rubber uh, that could be strapped on, um, and would would uh, sort of ameliorate the the impact of, of incoming blows. You mentioned losing teeth. One thing that he uh, the, the the sparring emphasized was uh, you know, he says it's too easy to hit the head. Hmm. Um, so, it's not easy to hit body targets, because uh, they're, they're, they're more heavily protected by the limbs. So, uh, the sparring would emphasize, what you're actually restricted, you, you, you didn't go for head targets. Um, and you're trying to break down through the opponent's defenses to get at the body targets.
0: But you kind of With, see that actually embedded in Xingyi and Bagua and the classical systems themselves you see that, um, they favor torso center of mass shots over striking the face as much for the reasons that you just mentioned, although it might be easy to strike the head, it's also easy to miss the head and, Hmm. and, and striking the body or the center of mass, um, has a greater impact on displacement of the opponent, but also there's a aspect of safety uh, involved in it. If, if you do strike it, uh, as opposed to him being able to weave and Bob his head, it's a lot harder to move your center. So he ends up having to defend. Um, so there is a tactical, there's a tactical logic to that. There really is. And it's somewhat lost on today's, um, MMA world, which all you see is people punching each other in the head because they've got hand wraps on and gloves on. Uh, And that was another aspect about punching somebody in the hard head. Um, as opposed to striking the torso, so there is a there's a logic built into these systems, and a, there's a logic in what Hong Yixiang just mentioned and had people focus on as well.
1: I think at the yeah at the entry level, um, yes, but for for the Yizong Tangshou system of, of Xing Yi come, passed down from Zhang Junfeng. Mm. It's a Hebei Xing Yi but um, there there are some because because it's been heavily mixed with ba Gua, and uh, there there are some aspects to it that at at, at the next level at the higher level, uh, you 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 can utilize it for for attacking the head. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of of Zuan Quan in particular, or mm-hmm. not even, even in particular, but when when we start our zuan, it's like a bagua piercing palm, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we are bridging with the outside of the opponent's arm, we have this shen jing, this twisting energy uh, in in the forearm, which we're reversing as we pull the opponent's arm down, mm-hmm. and we want to create the collision between our so on our drilling fist and his head, right, so, right.
0: So there's that opposing action of pulling down and drilling up.
1: Right, and yeah. and in, indeed, Master Hong said that the e and the emphasis in all of the Xing Yi forms is in the in the in the reverse hand, not in oh, the hand. Oh, that's th- very true. Yes, not not that's... in the hand that you think is actually doing the work or the punching or the attack.
0: That's very interesting that he said that. My teacher would say that to me, particularly as I trained longer and longer with him. He'd say, "Stop! Start focusing on the other hand. Put all your intention on the other hand. That is where you get the real, the real
1: transformed power from." Mm-hmm. So that that's that's very true. So at, at that level, we want to create a collision between um, the opponent and, and 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 our incoming fist. Mm. And there's a chapter in in the blurred boundaries that deals with this, where I think the name of it is, what is it? Speed is not everything. Or let me see. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry. No uh, problem. Um, well, I better look it up. But the the point of the The point of that that chapter is that there's a there are human limitations to how fast we can get Mm. but we can double our speed if we're pulling the opponent into the blow yes which is the, the relative speed the speed between the two bodies that are making impact yeah
0: yeah that's that's very interesting yeah that's i mean that's one of the the things that my teacher would emphasize as a basic practice is the the, for the five elements, let's say, for example, the, um, the non-striking limb, let's call it that, um, mm-hmm. being forcefully pulled into your center with each strike, you know, and at a basic level, there's a way that we teach that, uh, simply to get the desired basic effect from a beginning or a new student. And then as time progresses, they start to understand why that is. And it's a very important, uh, component. And you actually see it, um, in the weapons more profoundly but um in the bare hand sometimes people ignore it simply mm-hmm. because you can get away with it in the bare hand in essence you can get away with it more easily than than if you're using a, a specifically a long weapon
1: mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah in in for instance in bong um you know you're familiar with bruce lee's one inch punch and so yes. forth and, and Hong had a similar thing but for us the he, you know he, he could put his his extended fist on your dantian or your stomach or whatever but clearly uh, he could drill it into you from that distance mm. uh, but the power wasn't coming from his the wrist or the forearm of the attacking hand it was being started by pulling back his rear hand already which was already on his hip and that's it initiating this twist in the spine and Mm. the driving of the power out through the scapula and into the, into the body.
0: It's almost a Tongbei, not in terms of the style Tongbei, but in terms of the principle of Tongbei through the back, through the Um, back, that principle of the two arms being connected through the back and the one action affecting the other one in a, in a productive manner, not in a, not in a a counterproductive manner. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah that's right
1: like pao Chen, you know the the one hand is not actually being retracted but but it's being raised up into the block Mm. and you know i see some people doing xingy and and you've got essentially like a a karate block Mm. and and, and then followed by at some point in time the, the 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 punching fist but for us and you know i'm this is just the way we do it uh i'm not going to say anybody's wrong or right but <laughs> but they're 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 rising at the same time it's a, it's a simultaneous blocking striking move um followed you know with with the whole body mass stepping into the opponent yeah um and uh very much um following this kaihe uh jing of 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 pao Quan um so after we've risen and, and blocked and punched, uh, that's the Kai aspect right. of this. The He, then it, we're dropping that, that uh, blocking hand with a sort of an elbow shot into the head, dragging his head down into the lower fist. Uh, oh, okay. and then, then we can be stepping into the next uh, Pao Quan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's the it's not it doesn't the technique doesn't end with the punctuation of of the rising block and the punch. Right.
0: Well I mean it's it's not by um uh luck or coincidence that Paul Chen has in the classical explanation is that it's um likened to a canon. Mm. The canon in what people don't understand is they 're not talking about simply the idea of uh shooting something with a the can or or a modern artillery cannon they're 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 more in line with the idea of those old cannons where you had to pack it. You had to pack the gunpowder and put a plug on top of it very tight and The tighter that plug was, the more mm. explosive the um the discharge would be when that gunpowder was lit but if there's slack in that um packing of the gunpowder it's not as violent the explosion and that mm-hmm. is kai he exactly as you have just mentioned that packing and expansion is kai he which is one of the one of the core concepts in pao trend so if you're mm-hmm. not if you're not manifesting that uh that you're kind of missing part of the the point
1: of of power practice for sure
0: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah so we uh, we trained th- through First the five elements, and then we learned um, the tiger form, which in mm. in uh, school and passed down from Zhang Junfeng has has five tigers. Um, right. The not most of the schools I see are, are just the the pouncing uh, tiger, yeah, hu. but. Um, there's There's five tigers, and and maybe this is influenced from the the, the Gao lineage of linear Bagua. I don't know. no, we have
0: the, We have quite a few tigers in my system, and we're not, we're not connected to Gao. Okay. So um, I've also noticed that most people either just know Hu Pu. Some of them know Hu Pu and Hu Tuo, which is the second uh, second version. but we also have like five or six uh, variations of uh, of tiger. We have Hucheng, we have Hu Pao we have hulan uh, so that's already five Mm.
1: Um,
0: and and they're quite they're quite different in terms of what you see but in terms of certain aspects of spirit and spinal movement they're very similar which is the core of of our tiger uh ideology or rather theory Mm. yeah yeah so that's very interesting you guys did it as a form or um do you do them as uh separate techniques first and then put them together into into a combined practice
1: it's a you just repeat the first one, and then the second one, and then the third one. Yeah, right. it's not it's not a form like a like a long Shaolin mm. tiger form. No, yeah. Um, okay. And uh, some of one of at least one of those uh, is in the BBC tape, and you can see Master Hong applying it against one of the students, and mm. uh, he goes sort of flying across the park, but. <laughs> uh, um, so we did five elements, and then we did five tigers, and then we started working on other animal forms. I, I, I should say we did learn the Lianhuan at that time, the consecutive uh, connected linking, linking elements, yeah. yeah. Um, and Bosher and different animals, uh, and then Shrar uh, Hong Cui, the 12 hammers. Right. Um, and uh, no weapons. We didn't train any weapons at all, so I was sort of keeping my promise. (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, At the end of uh, five or six years there, my my company was talking about transferring me back to the United States, Mm -hmm. and I sort of had a a heart-to-heart with Master Hong, and I said, look, you know, I've been here... Next many years, been working on the shingi, like you asked, and, uh, you know, uh, Bagua is kind of nowhere in sight. Could I at least learn the, the, the Champanning Taiji form from you hmm. before I leave? And he said yes. Um, and so he said, you come to the park in the mornings and join the group there and I'll, I'll teach you there. And so I, I learned very Pimao, the, the the just the out the the the, skin the hair of the hair skin, of the form uh, of the form. But I, I I wasn't able to really go deeply into it at that point in time. But I did learn the whole form, and uh, before I left, I should also mention, and I think this is an interesting thing about the way he trained us. About you know on year three when we'd gotten through most of the Yi, he then went back and taught us uh the, Hong's, the Hong family's uh, crane um, okay. form, and the way I f- like to think about why he taught us this is that we Shi is ostensibly the the hardest if you will, the most gang of the Nei yeah
0: and
1: then he he taught us what I think is ostensibly the softest of the of the white Zia- Chuan? yeah. And it was a very interesting uh, contrast. Mm. Um, the form itself is is really good, uh, practical. Um, has had a I f- I felt very akin to it already with from the Bondo Eagle form. There was Great. a one evening when he was teaching us toward the end of the form. There's a sequence where you know you're slapping away and you're stepping front and back and turning and hitting again. And he showed us once, and I was able to do it the first time pretty well, and he kind of looked at me like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> 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 um, but, uh, the yeah, so we we, we also learned two uh, Shaolin patterns, um, the Five Tigers Descend the Western Mountain and the Da Peng Giangshir, the great... Rock or the great pong yeah. uh, uh, displays its wings, and um, uh, you know the, I, I was, I, you know I learned them, but I, they weren't really my heart wasn't really into into them as forms, but uh, um, yeah, we we got that too. Plus the the babu da and the body and show that he had taught the the uh, GIs before, we had drilled all that stuff. Um, So then I I went to the U.S. uh, for a year, and uh, my wife had just given birth to twins. We already had a daughter uh, born in Taiwan. She gave birth to twins in Taiwan, and we moved back when they were one month old to the U.S., and boy, that was a mess. So uh, (laughs) immediately I tried to to persuade my company to uh, send us back out to Asia, which uh, exactly pretty much a year to the the day, uh, we we moved back out to Singapore as as managing director for Asia Pacific operations, mm. and uh, uh, we stayed in Singapore then straight through from uh, 1989 until 2005 or something. 2000. Oh no, no, we didn't. Yeah, we went back to the U.S. for two years to I'm Seattle, uh, but that was a different okay. thing. But when I was training in in uh, you know, I continued. Training in in Hong School, I, I had a student in uh, in St Louis uh, when I was transferred back there. Uh, Dave Lowry, who's who's you know well known uh, contributor to Black Belt magazine. Uh, he's a exponent of karate and Aikido and Yagyu Shinkage Ryu swordsmanship. Right. And uh, um, so I, he worked out with me on on first the things that Master Gao had, had taught me and then um, we, we went through uh, uh, Hong's uh, Xing Yi Quan. Um, and uh, in Singapore, um, uh, while we were there, we had visits occasionally. There was another uh, student of Master Hong's who had moved down to Singapore, uh, Mark Griffin. and. Uh, oh. He invited uh, Lord the Xiu to come down on occasion, hmm. and on one of these times, uh, Lord had uh, recommended that I try to find a teacher named Fu Shu Yin, and uh, a, a, a woman who had graduated from the Nanjing Guoshu Academy. Mm-hmm. And I went downtown to this bookstore in Singapore that uh, only sold martial arts books, and I talked to the owner there, because he, he was connected to everybody, and, uh, I, you know, I said, you know, where can I find this Hu Shuyu, and he asked around, and he said, well, she's gone, but, uh, you know, there's this other lady who was her contemporary at the, at the Nanjing Guoshu Academy, and, and you can go train with her. So, that was how I learned about Hu uh, Shuyu, uh, sorry, uh, Hu Yinghua. And also known as Hu Yunhua, uh, who had gone to the uh, Nanjing Guoshu Academy, graduated from it in the 1920s, and had been a s- direct student of Sun Lutang in okay. the Taiji form. Uh, there was a period around 1930, a year or two before he died, when he took uh, uh, he matriculated a class of of women uh, Taiji students. Oh, and uh, um, she and and Fu Shuyin were were contemporaries, uh, and Fu Shuyin you can you can find out some articles about her. Uh, she was more widely publicized than than Hu Yinghua, but uh, uh, she was sent with that demonstration team to the Berlin Olympics. Okay. Um, where China sent a a, uh, a Guoshu demonstration team, right, right. And at the same time, uh, Hu Yinghua, uh, I guess she drew the short straw, <laughs> and <laughs> she was sent to Singapore to Southeast Asia for demonstration team. And uh, both of them were then impacted when the Japanese uh, attacked Nanjing in 1936, and uh, their lives were, you know, were sort of. Disrupted by that, I think mm. Fu and probably went back to China, but Hu Yunhua remained in Singapore. Mm. Uh, so when I knew her, she was in her 80s, and uh, still moved very well. Was still teaching Shingi, uh, uh, Bagua Taiji, and uh, a form from the 1920s called um, uh, it was called Xin Taiji. It was also known as Bagua Taiji. Okay. I never, I never learned the form, but it's quite a, quite a physically demanding uh, taiji system. Yeah. Mm. Um. So I, I trained primarily with her in 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 the Sun taiji, and uh, I really like that form, and it's still my my go-to taiji form. Uh, I like it because it embodies elements of xingyi and bagua. Uh, and I yes, it does. continue yes. to explore, you know, that as I understand both of those systems more. Um, and, uh, you know, she said that uh, she had also studied Chen style and Yang style, but for her, in her, as she got older, the swimming system was much more practical to continue doing every day, uh, much easier on the legs um, and knees and so forth
0: yeah it's 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 also more mobile actually i mean, I think sometimes it's referred to as hoboja, which means moving yeah. more lively step frame yeah um yeah. So so that, that's quite nice
1: yeah, and I think that's a uh you know a combative element of it uh yeah uh you don't go down into deep stances, there's no shasha and things like that uh, right um uh, I, I did meet up with, with uh, Sun Jianyun on two occasions in, in Beijing, mm. um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, her, her comments were, were, were helpful uh, to, to okay. continue improving, but I never trained with her per se, never met with her group. Right, right.
0: Would you? You. I see that we, when you were studying in Singapore, you you studied also some Sancai Jian with her, and um, and of course Xing Yi and etc. How did that compare to your previous learning of Sancai Jian that you had learned with um, with your Gao Fangxian, that uh, teacher Gao Fangxian?
1: I think it was it was very very similar um, mm. because it was a a Guoshu Federation sort of approved and stamped form. It was a it was something that was part of the curriculum yes it was and so yeah. there was some standardization across transmission uh, mm. of that um, and the Xing Yi was, was different from, from Hong Xiang's Xing Yi and mm. uh, um, I, I, I you know I just prefer perhaps because it is different and distinct the, the, the Hong uh, the you know the Zhang Jun Hong Xiang sort of expression line, expression of it yeah i mean yeah. clearly the xingy we do has been influenced by the overlap with baguazhang and when i went to beijing around 19 i mean i started going to china for business in 1983 hmm. and uh sometime around 1984 or 85 i was visited a park in the morning and uh, saw a guy doing Xing Yi and watched him and he struck up a conversation and uh, his, his name was Niu, Neo, uh, Niu Neo mm. um He asked me to do my Xing Yi and I did it. And his first comment was he looked with me, at me with his eyes, his head sort of askance, and he says, hmm, Bagua Xing Yi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's fine. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Guilty. But... Um, you know there's a reason for what we do and uh yeah but um
0: uh well you know the shingi, the the Sansai um actually is a shingi form uh, is it, I, I, thought yeah,
1: it wudang, I thought it was a wudang uh, sword form
0: the san is also the same idea of tian ren but you know Santi sure is also referred to in the past as sancaishi mm. um, and my teacher actually wrote a, a thing that he gave to me tracing how it got into the guoshu and through who which was from a Shingi background well so yeah it's, it's actually quite interesting and our version that i learned from my teacher has similarities but it's also different of course it's a partner form primarily but you can practice it on its own yeah um but yeah uh, it's it's similar but i can see where it was standardized and then changed and then it's kind of evolved into an individual practice but yeah from from what i've seen it was drawn from a shingi uh, a shingi background hmm. so with with us like with our shingi straight sword content we learn the five elements we learn the five elements linking then you start learning um Tsai and then you start doing leo huan so those are the core jian practices within within my 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 lineage is xing yi, and it's all it's all considered you know that's the sequence that's quite well we
1: didn't we didn't learn a any any sword forms within master hung school right. um, i had learned this xing Yi jian from uh, when i was training with master Gao, and that one i mean I, the best way to describe it is is sort of lian huan with a jian uh, it, mm. it was um but he he didn't talk about. I can go back and look inside his book to see if he mentions an, uh, a Xing Yi reference to uh, to Sansai Jin, but um, yeah, it's not it's not something I was familiar with. It's good to know. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's interesting. It's all. I mean, it, I still quite like the the version that was uh, that's been you know uh, standardized and expressed down, particularly through the Guoshu derived lineages. But I, you know, if you compare the two, maybe one day, if I ever make my way over to Taiwan, when you're over there, we can compare notes on, on the two versions. There's a lot of similarity. There's also some aspects that of course, you know, are different, but you can see it's the same root. It's very interesting. Yeah. The lian huan, like for you just mentioned the linking, uh, wuxing lian huan, jian, wuxing lian huan, dao, even ours with the broadsword and the straight sword, they're very similar. But of course there's Hmm. some specific parts that are more, uh, focused on the function of the jian and some more fun- on the focus of the tao depending on which one you're doing but you can clearly see it's a, a lian huan jian and lian huan tao all derived from a similar concept as the lian huan chuan to a degree mm. it's a it's quite an interesting progressive system that kind of you know i mean yi is like that you know i don't have to tell you this that kind of builds on top of preceding foundations as you go through it so, yeah
1: yeah it should it should and i the way I like to think about Xing Yi, it, it, the is that the five elements are coarsely dissecting five different ways of putting uh, energy into motion, uh, mass oh. into motion, Agreed. and the twelve the twelve animals then are refinements of each of those or combinations in some cases Exactly uh, and, and uh, so when when I see it that way, when I train it that way, those ways of putting mass into motion uh, then permeate things that I trained before. Hmm. So I went back to the U.S. and was helping a, somebody prepare for their black belt test in Bando, and they were demonstrating, showing me one of the one of the uh, black belt patterns, and I, I said, "We'll try it this way," and and. I just automatically was infusing into it, uh, you know, some some Jing from from Xing Yi. It, it's mm. it's inherent within the movement that's being taught. It's not like I'm saying you know put something in there that, that wasn't not there.
0: There, yeah.
1: But but it's a subtlety that they can only do if they relax and let it happen. And uh, so yeah, it it, it, it does. It, to me, it's a very systematic way of learning. Um, ultimately, when we when we strike somebody or when we block or whatever, we're we have to do it by putting mass into motion, and uh, that is body mass into motion. Mm. And if we're if our body is fighting that, if it's resisting it, or you know through tension or whatever. Uh, or if we're only using a part of our body to do it, then we're shortchanging ourselves. Either way, mm. we're not delivering full-body power. And yeah. but there's many ways of doing that. There's many ways of delivering full-body power. And these, the, you know, the the five elements coarsely dissect that. Like like caiho we were talking about before, mm. opening and closing, or in Xing, in petran rising and falling. For bungchen for us, it's it's a compression and expansion. Yeah. Um, uh, and so on. So, uh, each one is, 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 is unique, uh, a unique expression of, of how to deliver mass into, into motion.
0: Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's how we see it as well. That's how my teacher teaches it as well. And, um, so that it's very nice to hear there's some, uh, similarities there. Now you, you are now. And since, uh, I think you said 2006, you've been training with uh, uh, Hong Zi Han, if I'm not yes. mistaken, right? Yes, yes. And, and and more recently, you guys have been working on the release of the translation of the book, which in English is called Blurred Boundaries. I right. was in Taiwan when the Chinese version was released, I bought it oh. there. Mm. So that's. Yeah, I've got a copy of the Chinese version Excellent. when it was first released. I was in Taiwan quite a few times um, between 2016 and 2018, specifically for martial arts-related work. And uh, when I went to Lion Books and I saw that it had just been released, I was like, all right, I'll take a copy. So I'm quite keen to see the English version as well. But maybe you want to talk a little bit about your time with uh, with Master Hong and, and this book itself, because I think it's something that... Um, the, not only the Shingi community, but the Chinese martial arts community in large would be interested in in reading these accounts. Most of us are aware of the Hong family through, initially probably through the BBC's Way of the Warrior. I even have the companion book that came out by the uh, yes. producers of the, of the Way of the Warrior that I've had in my collection for a very long time. Um, so I, I'm sure this is um, of interest. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about that.
1: Indeed, when I uh, moved back from Singapore to Taiwan around 2006, um, I, I, I had stayed in touch with the Hong's uh, after Master Hong's death, and uh, visited them when I would come back to Taiwan. But uh, when I moved back, I reached out to uh, Hong Han, who we, most people refer to as Ah Han, mm. and we, you know, talked to him about starting up training again and one of his high school buddies who had trained with him back in the day when they were in high school and there's there's pictures of him in the book uh, training along the riverside um, uh, also wanted to, to do this and we, so he had a couple people encouraging him to, to start teaching again and we set up uh, at uh, Jershan Park and uh, just started training and reviewing and, and so forth and and uh, Uh, We went through the the Xing Yi system uh, again, and then uh, uh, the the Chen Panding Taiji form, which then I got in much more detail uh, Mm. than uh, when I had trained it with Master Hong. Uh, And finally, uh, going into, you know, at long last... (laughs) The Bagua. The the, the Bagua, yeah. Um, And... uh, uh, in learning the Bagua, then I could really see the uh, you know a lot of what what Master Hong was doing with us when he would he would uh, interact with us physically, uh, doing what we call strolling hands uh, or what I translate as strolling hands sansho, mm. Mm. which is not the is not sanda and it's not tu, shou. It's it's uh, uh, a little more energetic. Uh, A little more open in terms of rules uh, than than toesho, but it's not full-on sparring either. Um, And uh, we, I I could begin to understand then the depth of his toolbox uh, in the stuff that he had been doing with us, uh, doing sancho. As I learned the the potian bagua. from Honza Han, so we, we got through the the eight mother palms and the sixty four uh, linear hands and uh, a, a linking form or uniting form uh, mm-hmm. Wurong Um the so and and then we went back to uh, creating he wanted to create a form a new form that would be an expression of or a crystallation of things that uh, uh, had worked in mm. in fights along Tang Shodao's history, uh, either sparring matches that the students had won at or things that his father had done. And uh, uh, he began to create this form we've been working on for about the past four years now called uh, 36 Hands. Okay. I like I like to refer to it as the, the best hits, uh, or Tang Shodao's greatest hits. But <laughs> <laughs> um, the... Uh, uh so it, it incorporates, it has a strong Xingyi, Bagua flavor, but it also incorporates some of the crane and uh, Shaolin elements. Um, uh, but the strategies are much more important in terms of things that were important to the way Master Hong fought, how we bridge, how we... Uh, make the initial connection with the opponent, how we begin to exploit that and manipulate the opponent and and uh, you know create openings es- essentially the way Ma- Hong Zahan talks about it is it's a it's a question and answer session where your mm. your hand is asking a question of the opponent and depending upon how he answers, um, then he gets the next question and uh, um, there's Right answers and there's wrong answers.
0: <laughs> right,
1: right. Um, so uh, that's been a, a work in progress, and we're, we're nearing the end of it. We have finished the 36 hands, but now he says he wants to go back to the very beginning and, and refine again. Um, okay, but it's it's uh, it's good and it's really good, and 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 uh, some of the techniques are quite eye opening for me. Um, uh, and, uh, I mean, I came back from a, one of my summers, uh, in Seattle. And, um, he, he wanted to show, show me something he'd been working on. And I, I'm not a person to play along with the teacher or give them, mm. you know. And, uh, he set me up with this, uh, our our style of G, um, like um, in in Taiji p- pushing hands, the punguji uh, uh, and that G, okay. Yeah, the squeezing. But, squeezing but, but yeah. for him, it's it's more of a, a way of seizing. With... Are you hearing that noise?
0: Yeah, sorry, it's the neighbor. I'm just gonna get somebody <laughs> okay. to tell him okay. to stop.
1: I thought it was interference on my side
0: no 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 they've it's all it seems to be my luck that whenever i'm recording one of these the neighbor decides it's time to fix something so <laughs> i'm gonna tell him to just give me another 30 odd minutes and then uh, and then he can carry on demolishing his house so well we, all, but, we only
1: we only have a couple minutes left but it's okay We can right right well let's see how it goes the, the uh skype has a selection for uh background noise yeah, background noise um i
0: don't actually I know where that, that is
1: noise cancellation auto default you can select that to
0: ah something else well i think i'll just tell him to stop which is right. what i've just i've just somebody's going to go across and tell him to stop so okay yeah. so
1: um yeah he was uh was doing this uh our version of ge which you're you're absorbing uh and his the opponent's uh incoming blow with sort of seizing his arm into an arm yeah. and then he then he released uh, his energy and uh, at the same time he sort of did a, a, a kobu behind my my foot my leading foot and I went flying um, and I, I mean I was out of control for 12 or 15 feet I really didn't want to fall because I I had uh, uh, I had fallen on my left arm a couple years back in a motorcycle accident and and had surgery on it and I didn't want to fall on it again Right. and I hit hit one of the uh, other students in the class he was standing behind me some distance away I hit him and we both went down
0: (laughs) (laughs) he was your crash
1: pad he was my crash pad yeah and I was just like, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, you see it in videos and you say, yeah, the student is just, you know, playing it, you know, flying away for the teacher and making it look good and all this stuff. Man, that wasn't what happened that time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. When it works, it works. Especially yeah. if it's done right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure.
1: Um. So... Yeah, that's what we've been working on, and the book itself, okay, he started writing it uh, going on, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, Mm. and he wrote it uh, on his Samsung Galaxy phone.
0: As one does.
1: As one does. I mean, we're (laughs) talking about a 500-page book, entering those characters in, you know, one by one. Man. Man. And uh, uh, there was a publisher, the the owner of which a publishing house, the owner of which had known his father and had encouraged uh, Ahan to to write a book about his father. Mm. And uh, he reached out to them, and they they agreed to publish the book. They're a big publishing house in Taiwan, uh, sunmin mm. Publishing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know the the result was 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 great. Uh, it's not a it's not a martial arts manual. It's not a how-to book. No. It's
0: like a it's, memoir.
1: It's a memoir, but um, you know, embedded within it are lots of lessons. Embedded within each chapter, there are lessons about, uh, you know, if not about how to use a particular technique, then how to conduct yourself within, you know, the Jianghu and and a martial arts uh, environment. Mm. And uh, you know there's a lot of really touching stories about about the trials and tribulations of the Taiwanese people experienced with the the arrival of uh, the mainland refugees after the fall of the Guomindang government and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, how you know everybody was stewing in the same pot and and so forth right. um, but there's lots of humor and grace within these stories as well um, there's one story that that I tear up every time I read it, where uh, a woman, a, a mainland Chinese woman, with her, she's carrying a baby, and she's got a, you know, a three or four year old boy on her arm, and she's stopping at a food stand, uh, a Taiwanese food stand, and asking to buy some lunch, and the the Taiwanese guy gets angry at her and. Uh, he, actually, the the, the 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 owner of the stand is going to serve her. And then the, another Taiwanese comes up and starts berating the the uh, stall owner. You know, why are you serving these people? They're just here to, you know, make our lives miserable and they're terrible mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And the woman just backs down and says, okay, sorry, 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 I don't want to buy anything. And she goes away. And Master Hong had returned from... Taichung by train and had bought a lunchbox uh, uh, on the train and was carrying it with him. And he sees this and he sort of follows the lady and blocks her path later on and says, uh, you know, don't let the little guy go hungry. Uh, You take this Mm. lunchbox. And what makes me tear up is then he says, he's not a bad guy. He's hurting too. Wow. Right. Um... And, yeah, things were tough. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's lots of stories about uh, uh, about Smith and about training the GIs and going to Japan and accepting challenges. And uh, uh, later on, uh, uh, you know, training some foreign students and also... Uh, the Australians uh, reaching out after after Hong Hongji had died, and then reaching out to try to reconnect with, with the, the mothership and so on. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, uh, the book ended on a very sad note with mm. just with Master Hong's death. And I, after translating it, I, I said to Mahan, you know, this is a real downer. <laughs> <laughs> can can we uh, can we you know add some more chapters that are, that are sort of a bridge to, you know, a little more positive, a little more in depth about, you know, what the next generation is. And, and he uh, had, had been writing a, a lot on Facebook and so forth, little vignettes. Mm. So some of those found their way into the book and, and we added right. about ten chapters. Um, and I should say these chapters aren't long, they're four or five pages. So they're very mm. easy to read in the sense of you can get through them quickly, but each one has some value to take away. And, right. uh, yeah.
0: Well, I've been looking forward to, because of the differences, looking forward to the release of the English version, even though I, um, I have the Chinese version and, you know, I think it's work worth supporting either way. So, uh, I think it comes out the beginning of next month, if I'm not mistaken.
1: That's right. It'll uh, be out. It'll, I mean, you can, they, they're taking orders on Amazon already, but the, uh, Delivery dates are November 8. Yep. Right, right. Okay,
0: great. So I'll put some links into that, into the the, the notes here for people that are interested. Mm. Uh, maybe at a later stage, we can do a follow-up um, uh, about uh, aspects relating to the book and how, how things are going, etc. It would be great one day to actually chat to, to your teacher. Mm. Um, I don't think he speaks much English, uh, but I could speak to him in Chinese, but that would have to be yep. a... A video or something we could do in the future we could plan something like that or hopefully if mm-hmm. i could find myself on that side of the world i'd, I'd love to meet up with you guys
1: yes yes so. and yeah with uh, i don't know youtube does translations of audio but uh, i don't know if it if doesn't it really works. work okay
0: <laughs> it's best to do it yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> so but anyway we'll figure something out um it's been great chatting to you. We're getting, I know you're, you're also, you had a bit of a time limit that you needed to get some other things done. I don't want to tell the neighbor to stop his uh, uh, reconstruction of whatever the hell he's doing in there for too long. So um, it's been great chatting. Um, I look forward to the book release and uh, yeah, th- thanks for the time today. It's been wonderful to hear your story, your journey, et It's been, It's been really good.
1: Enjoyed it and yeah, uh, look forward to hearing it and having a chance to chat and maybe meet sometime.
0: Uh, Yep, me too. Uh, Regards to your teacher, and you keep well. Thank you, Byron. Okay, have a good day. Bye-bye.